Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is the RICO Act? What crimes does it cover? And why was the law originally passed? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Okay, I have a riddle for you. What does a former president, a rapper, and a fashion company all have in common? It's a little bit of a tough one, so I'll just tell you the answer. Former President Trump, Young Thug, and Sheen have all faced charges of violating the RICO Act. But what exactly does that mean? The RICO Act, otherwise known as the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, has been around for decades, but it seems like we've been talking about it more and more in recent times. So how common are RICO cases? What are the difficulties of prosecuting a RICO case? And what are the penalties if you're found guilty? Well, here to break all of this down for me is managing partner of Grell Feist PLC and adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota Law School, Jeff Grell. And Jeff joins me now. How's it going, Jeff? Great, Abby. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on Getting Schooled because RICO is fun to say, but it's something that's been said a lot in the last few months, the last couple of years. And it seems to connect a lot of people who you see no connection between. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I just want to start with what exactly is the RICO Act? RICO actually does have a meaning. It's an acronym for uh, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Uh, and yeah, it was passed in 1970. Now, lately, we've been hearing a lot about the Georgia RICO Act, which was passed in 1980. So yeah, the, the original is a federal statute. And then after that was passed, a lot of states passed many RICO laws. Uh, and that's what we're dealing with down in Georgia here recently. Oh. So... I always like to figure out, and what, no matter what the topic is, is why, what was the first thing that made someone go, oh, we need this? Do you know what happened in 1970 or prior to that where we were like, all right, we need to pass this act? Well, it actually goes all the way back to Prohibition and, and, and maybe even before that point in time. But during Prohibition, a lot of organized crime, a lot of... Uh, Issues, economic issues arising out of that, obviously trying to enforce prohibition and the difficulties that law enforcement was having doing that uh, by providing alcohol illegally. A lot of people made a lot of money illegally. It's just a lot like our drug trafficking today. And at the point that point in time, a lot of the organized crime uh, families were this mafia sort of traditional mafia type of scenario. And so from the 20s all the way through the 60s, there was a large push because after, after Prohibition ended, then we did have a lot of narcotics trade and, and the uh, traditional mafia families got into that. Everybody who's watched The Godfather knows that. And uh, so there was, there was always a push to try to get some organized crime legislation passed. And uh, J. Edgar Hoover, historically, uh, most people are of the opinion that he 
block those efforts because if uh, you watch anything about the JFK assassination or or all of the turmoil in the 1960s and, and everybody speculating that the mafia was involved, Hoover, of course, was very much opposed to that kind of idea that there even was organized crime in the United States. And so he kind of pushed back against efforts to pass a RICO-type statute earlier. And then by 1970, he was the waning hours of his life and just didn't really have the clout that he had and Congress was able to get this law passed. So mm. so if you were to boil this down, it essentially is a business or a company or someone affiliated with a business or company who is acting in an illegal way when it comes to those business transactions. My class, every 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 time I start my semester, which I just did last week, I, I show them that clip from the Godfather movie where they're all sitting around that conference uh, conference room table. It's, you know, the Murder, Inc. type scenario. Right. And uh, Vito Corleone is getting run over the coals because he won't participate in the narcotics traffic and they're trying to work out a deal to end the war. And that's what Rico was designed to get at was that conference room where... Organized crime, the leaders of organized crime are setting policy for their families and for organized crime in general in the United States. Um, and the reason that traditional criminal laws didn't work to combat that scenario is because, just go back and watch that clip, nobody in that conference room is talking about specific crimes. They're not talking about specific drug deals. They're not talking about specific murders, not talking about specific acts of bribery when you're talking about judges and such. And so traditional conspiracy laws don't work well in that scenario because to conspire in an illegal way, in, under the general federal statute, you need to commit overt acts and furtherance of the conspiracy. So there was no overt action in furtherance of the conspiracy. Just having that meeting, they were just talking about it. And then number two, uh, there's got to be a particular knowledge of the underlying criminal activity that's being committed. And this was too general of a discussion. So what RICO did is it made it illegal not to necessarily engage directly in criminal activity, but to operate and manage an organization that engaged in criminal activity. So if you had the intention uh. to, to operate and manage that organization, knowing that they were going to go out and extort people and bribe people and murder people, you were liable. And so that was the twist with RICO. That was its real revolutionary thing. And obviously, a boardroom is a boardroom. It could be the the mafia families that are... In the Godfather War, it could be any Fortune 500 company in the, in the in the country, in the world, could be, you know, lots of nonprofit organizations, could be the Oval Office, which, you know, again, recently, that's what we've been talking about. So it's it's basically any group of people that, that uh, gets together to commit crime or uh, can be a corporation that's also being used to commit crime. I... Love the teachers who play movies in their classes. So I would love to go back to college and take your <laughs> class because that sounds pretty fun. I know well, it was just a clip, but hey. <laughs> this is law school. So you can go to law school. You just got to. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I will. You'll be my in. How about that? <laughs> Depending on how this podcast goes. So does there need to be a certain checklist of things that need to happen for a crime to fall under RICO? Well, there's five elements to a RICO a claim and I can run through those quickly. You need to have a yeah. defendant person, uh, an enterprise, an enterprise that's operated and managed by the defendant through a pattern of racketeering activity. So that's the way I characterize the claim. 
normally you don't have a defendant as a separate element of a cause of action, but in the RICO sense, you need to have a defendant that's distinct from the enterprise. They can't, they can't be the same thing. So for example, corporation ABC can't be the defendant and also the enterprise corporation ABC would be the defendant that would have to operate and manage something other than its own officers and directors, something other than itself. So you have to kind of consciously decide who your defendant is going to be and then decide what that person is operating and managing in furtherance of the criminal activity. So that's why I separate those two. Out. But uh, it's that operation management element, like I said before, that's that's critical for a RICO claim. And then when you talk about acts of racketeering activity, it can't be just one act. It's got to be a pattern. So that means that it goes on for a substantial period of time or it, or it poses an ongoing threat. And then acts of racketeering under the federal statute are, you know, 50, 60 some crimes. So that's what makes RICO claims difficult is you have to prove the underlying criminal conduct, whether it's bribery or extortion or murder. That's just like you would do in any criminal case. You would, you would prove that underlying conduct and prove the elements that, that apply to that underlying criminal conduct. But then in RICO, you have to build this superstructure on top of it, which is the enterprise, the operation and management and the pattern. So that's what makes them difficult. They're, they're basically a crime on top of a crime. Got it. So RICO is different than just racketeering. Like if someone's charged with racketeering, that is different than if they're, something falls under RICO. Well, Technically, it's different in the media and in popular culture. That distinction washes away. Yeah, acts of racketeering are the specified criminal conduct in the statutes. Now, in these state statutes, they're they're broader than the federal statute because the federal statute's all federal criminal activity, and these state statutes essentially say uh, everything that's an act of racketeering activity under the federal law is also an act under our state law. Plus, we've got another long list of state crimes that also constitute acts of racketeering. So you, you basically have all of the federal crimes plus a whole bunch of state activity. Wow. And under the federal law, you've just got like kind of like five crimes, state crimes that constitute acts of racketeering. And the, and the remainder is all federal. Got it. So a lot needs to happen because you have to build to your point. You have to build kind of the case around the case. It's like right. a crime within a crime, right? right? Right. And it's all and all of that, like pattern is a very unique feature of RICO enterprise. So that's why I've been able to do this for over 30 years is that most lawyers don't understand those concepts because outside of RICO, they, they don't exist. And so they're very unique features of that statute. And uh, and so that, that's what makes it difficult from even a, a conceptual standpoint. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News hourly update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. What does the punishment look like for something that falls under RICO? Under the Georgia statute, which applies to the, the indictments coming out of the Trump administration, the minimum sentence is, is five years, which is why a lot of people think that's the most likely claim that will result in, in actual prison time, up to 20 years. And then under the federal statute, there's no minimum time period. It's, it's a maximum of 20 years. 
Got it. So since you bring up the Trump case, I think that's what people are pretty familiar with in terms of just what's been happening over the last several months. Um, Can you break that down? What exactly is happening? And it seems like there are new charges and I, I feel like it's hard to follow along with what exactly is going on. Can you break that down? Well, of course, Fonnie Willis has been investigating uh, the former administration for for over two years, uh, ever since, uh, well, we're, we're all fairly familiar with what happened after the 2020 election and the call to Raffensperger and some of the activities that were allegedly going on in Georgia with regard to poll workers. And then, of course, the activities throughout the country where Rudy Giuliani and others were uh, challenging the election results at various levels in various states. And so because Georgia had that unique kind of connection where there was more overt pressure, at least if you listen to that call with Raffensperger between Trump and Raffensperger, uh, depending upon your point of view, uh, that, that, that was a unique phone call that had consequences that a lot of people wanted Trump to be held accountable for. So that kind of, I think, prompted a particular investigation in Georgia. And when you're looking at a claim like Grieco, and especially when you're looking at any criminal claim that requires criminal intent to be proven, that kind of opens up a lot of evidence that goes to the defendant's state of mind. And, and uh, as a result of that, she was not only looking at Raffensperger, she was not only looking at what Trump did personally with regard to Raffensperger, but also what people within Trump's orbit were doing in relationship to poll workers and to other, you know, other communications with other government officials in the state of Georgia. And and then when it goes to this intent question, whether there was a good faith basis to challenge the election results, she was looking at everything that was being said throughout the country. So that took a long time to gather all that evidence and uh, some of that, you know, as the case went on, people were always asking me, well, why hasn't Trump been charged under RICO? And and when you look at a Jack Smith type indictment, he's more of a kind of a typical prosecutor. You know, the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. And that's basically what Jack Smith did. He, you know, there's documents in Mar-a-Lago that shouldn't belong there. So that's a, a violation of the Records Act. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what it's a violation of, but I think that's what it's called. I got enough on my plate with Rico. I'm <laughs> <laughs> we won't judge you for it. You've got uh, a lot up there. <laughs> so, and then of course, when you're looking at the January 6th indictment that he brought, it's, it's, he, he doesn't name all the co- co- co-conspirators. Trump is the focus. Uh, he's not bringing in everybody under the same umbrella. So it's a much more typical way to prosecute a crime, mm-hmm. uh, kind of focusing on, on the defendant you want, the, the very critical charges you want. And uh, he didn't need to use Rico because uh, Trump is accused of doing things directly, right? He's he took the documents allegedly to Mar-a-Lago. He sat on the mall on January sixth and said what he stood and said what he said on January sixth and 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 other things. So there's no enterprise that he was operating through. So my my response to all the reporters asked me this question was, well, the more he does directly, the less you need Rico because if if his phone call to Raffensperg was election interference. He did that. He wasn't using Giuliani or Manafort or Roger Stone to do that. He did it. He made that phone call. So there's no need to use Rico. And then as time went on, you know, that, that's how it kind of played out on the federal level, at least. And then in Georgia, though, 
it is a bit different because I think I think where you get into the RICO aspect of it is it involves this pressure that was allegedly being put on the poll workers and some of the threats and intimidation that they uh, claim to have faced. And so uh, that's where Trump wasn't doing that type of activity directly. He was doing it through intermediaries, which is makes a RICO claim more uh, necessary. And and then, of course, if you're going to bring a RICO claim, then you just bring everything. And that's what Fonnie Willis did. She brought one big RICO claim. That's the first count of the indictment. And that's where basically she's claiming that Trump and Giuliani and Powell and everybody, Meadows, everybody was essentially a little godfather figure uh, mm-hmm. operating and managing the enterprise. And so what that means is that they each individual in that RICO count is responsible for what everybody else did vice versa. So Trump is responsible for what Meadows did and Meadows is responsible for what Trump did and Juliana is responsible for what Meadows and it's it's all under this one umbrella of Rico. And and so you don't not everybody needs to be the Vito Corleone figure, you could be the, you know, the uh, I can't remember um, Robert Duvall's character, but he was the lawyer for it's been the so long since I've seen that movie. I need a refresher. Yeah, so it, it anybody who essentially exercises discretion on behalf of the enterprises which She's basically alleging all 19 of these defendants were directing people that were part of the enterprise. So they're all liable for what they did directly and what mm. all of their co-defendants did. And then as kind of an alternative backup plan, she's got the 40 remaining accounts uh, or the indictment, which obviously I think Trump is charged in 13 or so of those or 12 of those additional counts. And so in those counts, individual defendants are being charged for the particular crimes that they committed directly. So even if she doesn't succeed on the RICO claim, she's still got, she could still get Trump on 12 other counts for the crimes that he's accused of directly committing, like the call to Ravensburger. Mm. So, uh, and then she's, you know, broken that all down for all, all 19 defendants. And uh, that's, that's how, to me, I read that complaint. She's got her primary umbrella RICO charge or indictment, primary umbrella, umbrella RICO charge, and then kind of 40 alternative theories of relief. That, that break each dependent down into individual crimes that they can. First of all, who would have thought that The Godfather was so educational? I mean, this is everyone should be required in all schools. Well, <laughs> with, with regard to Rico, it is well, but I also use Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, okay, fellas, there's a lot of crime movies out there. So I saw The Godfather at the Hollywood Cemetery, and it was such a weird. It was so weird, but uh, very interesting. I'm going to have to rewatch it to refresh my memory on some of these things. So uh, it's funny because you're 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 obviously closer in age to my students than you are to me. But when I first started teaching 20 years ago, you'd say, who's watched The Godfather? Everybody would raise their hand. Say yes. Now I say The Godfather. It's like nobody's watched it. I'm like, okay, (laughs) got to go The Godfather. So you're you're bringing culture back. (laughs) People (laughs) people seeing some of the good movies. I want to pick up on something you said in there about uh, how you have to prove the intent. How do you do that? Because as a human being, even, you know, as someone not committing a crime, it's hard to understand someone's intentions. So how do you go about doing that? Uh, Well, you, you in in the legal world, there's so many cases out there that say intent is generally proven circumstantially. Very, 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 very seldom do you have a document or an email where the defendants say, hey, let's go commit some crime. 
Uh, <laughs> they usually cover their tracks better than that. Well, and 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 and, and I think that that I've been involved in so many cases, especially with powerful people, where in their mind, they don't think they're committing a crime. And I'm sure that's going to be kind of a sin Trump and his co-dependents put on in the RICO case. In their mind, you know, they're exercising the First Amendment rights. They're Trump in particular. He's a, he's a constitutional officer. He has co-equal branch government. He has his constitutional functions that he has to fulfill. And so uh, there's that intent. But and, and there will be this debate over, well, that's the intent I had versus, no, you had criminal intent. And, um, and that's what the prosecutors and the defense counsel are going to be arguing about. And the jury is going to have to decide. Intent is not a subjective, mm. is not, is not measured subjectively. It's measured objectively. And so those members of the jury are going to have to look at the evidence and say, okay, well, what was the intent here? Was it to interfere with the election? Or was it to perform legitimate functions as an officer of the United States government or to exercise your First Amendment rights? So that, again, all circumstantial. Uh, the, the reason why, why so much of the, the out-of-Georgia activities are important, especially when it comes to election interference, is that I think when I look at what, what Trump did initially back in January of 2021, you can say, well, I, I legitimately believed back then that there was an issue with the election, that there was election interference, that sort of thing. I think he could have made that argument because not much had been, while there had been some litigation, uh, the investigation was ongoing. Now, if I represented Trump, it would be like, stop talking. It would just stop because there is all of the lawsuits that he's filed, I think out of the 60, I don't know if any of them, I think they were all dismissed. Maybe one wasn't dismissed. But there's not really been evidence to, even though despite Mike Lindell and everybody else, it's, there hasn't been evidence that's stood up in court. And there's been a lot of opportunity to present that evidence. And so at a, Our, at a, yeah. at a certain point in time, you have to wonder, again, and that's going to be up for the jury to decide, was there a point in time where, where, where Trump could no longer in good faith believe what he was saying about election fraud in 2020? All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Are RICO charges very common? Because I alluded, I alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast, how we have some of these people that are connected in ways that were connected, being a loose term. But, you know, you have Young Thug, you have uh, former President Trump, you have Sheehan. What is different between all of those, um, those cases? And is it common? Well, RICO claims are not uncommon, especially like the Sheen case is a civil RICO case. Uh, and there are many, many RICO claims, civil RICO claims filed every day in the U.S. The The less common are the criminal RICO claims because of what we were talking about earlier. It's a, it's a really difficult claim to prove. And as a prosecutor, you know, if the person has blood on their hands, you just charge them with murder. You don't need to charge them with the, the whole RICO violation. Um, Could you be charged for murder and RICO? Sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially, if anybody in the, you know, in the Georgia indictment, if you look at that, there's, there's all of these, these crimes that they allege being false statements and what are some of the others? Perjury, obstruction of justice, that kind of thing. 
And uh, if, they, if anybody committed murder, there would just be a murder allegation out of those, you know, 161 uh, overt acts that she alleges in, in that section of the indictment. So, uh, but obviously there was no murder committed. So, but, but crime is crime and, and the crimes that she's talking about in the Georgia indictment are just different crimes. But yeah, murder could be a, a RICO claim can be predicated on murder. Got it. So Sheen and Young Thug, what were what was the impetus of a RICO claim for them? Well, Young Thug is a really, really interesting case. And again, this is bought by Fonnie Willis. Uh, and it, it's for, for people that, that want to look at how she uses the RICO statute. She's very comfortable using it, which makes her a little bit different than most district attorneys in the country. Um, and, and obviously she used it against this street gang in Atlanta and the rapper young thug grew up in the neighborhood where this gang operates and he's friends with a lot of members of the gang. And I, and I think that that's basically his defense It's mm. by association. Uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, a lot of the people in this gang are people that I know and I, and I am close to I'm not part of this gang. Now the, the argument that's being made county attorney's office is that he more or less was promoting the gang through the use of his rap lyrics and if you if you listen to a lot of his music it's alleged it's essentially yeah it's it's giving street credibility it's 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 essentially a recruiting tool it's wow promoting the gang so and then there are other more serious allegations like he uh rented cars that were used in criminal activity and that kind of thing and I would imagine that as his defense attorneys will, will argue, yeah, he rented the cars. He didn't know that they were going to go commit a crime. Um, and that's, again, goes back to that question of intent that we were talking about. But I think that the, the really interesting thing is this whole idea where an artist is using their art form to express certain things. And is it possible for that art to, to, to become, you know, a conspiracy in a RICO sense? And that's essentially what he's alleged to be doing, that he's he's through his lyrics, he's furthering and facilitating the objectives of the of the street gang and, and that he's knowingly doing Does that. that. I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt. Does that ever conflict with freedom of speech or like freedom of expression? I mean, how, how because obviously you can't there are rules to freedom of speech. But if he's singing about something, where is that intersection? That again is going to be left up to the jury because it's, is, is he simply, and you look at, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, was he furthering the objectives of the Italian mafia in the United States when he made Godfather? Was Martin Scorsese furthering the objectives of the mafia when he made Goodfellas? All of those are inspired by real life activities, real life events. And so why is it that a rapper would be treated differently than these big Hollywood movie directors that's one kind of philosophical issue and 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 i guess if i was a prosecutor i would argue because young thug is closer to the people that are committing these crimes and it's and it's contemporaneous with the crimes that are being committed you know i i don't know if this is the case or not but i think that there's a very close proximity to crimes being committed and then those crimes being rapped about in in his lyrics or some of the lyrics may even predate some of the crimes that are committed. And then, and then basically, you know, whether he benefits from the enterprise directly, whether he's getting any kind of 
money or, or uh, well, you and you look at Aaron Hernandez, right? The, the, yeah. the, the you, you think this is crazy. Like who would be involved in criminal conduct if they're a multi-million dollar celebrity? Well, Aaron Her- Hernandez kind of put that to rest. There are people, for whatever reasons, tied up in crime, even though they have no economic need to do so. And yet they just they just end up going down that right. path. So that young thug point you made is so interesting because you do have movies about the mafia and then you think, well, is that promoting the mafia? Is that giving people ideas? But then, yeah, then you have a rapper talking about these things and rappers talk about all sorts of things that happen, um, you know, murder and street crime, things like that. So it, it's interesting to see that delineation. Well, you know, Tupac and Biggie were both murdered, right? There, 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 there's always been a different relationship between rap and, you know, street gangs mm, and East Coast, West Coast, that kind of thing. It is different, um, but there's certainly been accusations of racism arising out of the Young Thug indictment. And, and you can only imagine it would be worse if it was uh, some other than Fonnie Willis. It still raises that issue. Plus, you've got R. Kelly. Uh, who was also convicted under mm-hmm. RICO for trafficking, sex trafficking. And that was another very uh, unusual application of the statute. But but again, R. Kelly was convicted of organizing, managing uh, his group, his entourage to bring in women and to transport them around the country. And that's a, you know, that's, that's not, that's more than just writing music about, Mm-hmm. A, a gang's activities yeah it's so, so horrible it'll be fascinating to see how the young thug, obviously a lot of the co-conspirators have played out of the young thug case um and then you asked about sheen so sheen is so if you want to look at where sheen is really valuable or not sheen but uh rico the sheen case is more representative of where rico is really impacting commerce and our economy in that Congress has passed a lot of legislation in the in recent years to make RICO apply more directly to unfair trade practices committed by China. And this Sheen case is a direct extension of sort of that effort. And th- there's there's been claims for a long time by both Republicans and Democrats. China is 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 very much involved in the theft of U.S. In, in, intellectual property. And so RICO is a great way to kind of address that situation. Um, the, the, the problem, and, and that's what's happening in the Sheen case, is that the allegations are that uh, Sheen, a, a Chinese entity, is essentially stealing the, the designs of, of American designers for various types of apparel, and, and uh, it seeks to hold them accountable. Now, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the issue in, in a civil case is you've got to be able to collect a judgment because all, all you can get civilly is money. And when you're dealing with any kind of foreign entity, that becomes an issue because you've got to figure out if you get a judgment, how are you going to collect it? Ah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, it's complicated. I just want to quickly say that I'm impressed by all of your rap knowledge. You're just, you're just <laughs> naming, naming rappers left and right, East Coast versus West Coast. I didn't hit you. I didn't tag you for a, a rap guy, Jeff. Hey, you know, <laughs> I, I, I got I got everybody on my playlist from Johnny Cash. There you go. Johnny Cash All to Jay-Z. I got to, you know, I got to come up with material for my class, right? 
I mean, totally. And we're seeing you say uh, Johnny Cash and Jay-Z. We're seeing a lot of intersection between rap and country and pop. And they're all, they're just all intermingling. That's yeah. awesome, though. You seem like such a cool teacher. And I feel like I'm I'm in class now. And I hopefully, I, I hope that the listeners also feel like they're in class, the cool class with the cool professor. Um, last question I have for you. If there's one thing that people should know about Rico... What would you tell them just to boil it all down? It's not a cure-all for everything. Um, mm. And that's what I, I, as so many people, they see how it's depicted on television and the news. And they think that, well, I can just bring a RICO claim. Um, and and it's, 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 a, it's actually a very, very, very uh, limited number of circumstances that RICO can apply to. Now, it's, in one sense, it's very broad in general. Because you can you can have it in situations like the 2020 election, and then it can also apply to a clothing manufacturer like Sheen, and it can apply to a rapper, and it can apply to. I mean, I'm involved in in, in a case involving the, you know Mexican uh, drug cartels buying weapons in the United States. It, it, it's it's all over the board because it's a very general statute in that sense. But the type of conduct that you have to engage in to violate RICO is. It's limited to very, very few acts of crime. Like I said, 55 or so, that might seem like a lot, but there's a lot of criminal activity that's, that's punishable under U.S. law. And so it's, they're very serious crimes. They're very limited number of crimes. And a lot of people just have this idea, well, if worse comes to worse, I can bring a RICO claim. That's mm. not true at all. You, you, it's got to be really, really serious conduct. It's not something for even run-of-the-mill criminals are not going to get charged under RICO. Uh, it's it's got to be very serious. And, and like I said, ongoing, long-term criminal. Right. That That's a great point to end on because it seems like in today's world, especially, you know, depending on what your intention is, you want to convict someone for this or for this. And it, it does seem like these terms get thrown around when in reality it might be a little more serious. It's more complicated than people probably realize. Um, well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and good luck with the school year. I know that there are extra challenges sometimes with being a, a teacher or professor. So good luck to you and have fun. I'll maybe sneak in to, to see uh, the Godfather next semester. Yeah, you bet. Well, thank <laughs> you, Abby. It was a pleasure. All right, if you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the RICO Act. Number one, although the RICO Act was officially passed in 1970, its roots go back to the Prohibition era, with crime syndicates and mafia families participating in a lot of organized crime. RICO made it illegal to operate or manage an organization that engages in some of those illegal activities. Number two, a big part of prosecuting RICO charges is proving someone's intent, which can be difficult to do in the courtroom because it's proven circumstantially. Jeff says intent is not measured subjectively, but is instead measured objectively. And number three, Jeff reminds us that even though RICO is a pretty general statute, it's not a cure-all. There is only a very limited number of circumstances to which RICO can be applied. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on RICO Charges. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. 
And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.